Welcome to another episode of the Grim and Bloody podcast. Uh, tonight we're going to be touching on American Werewolf in London that was written and directed by John Landis. Um, came out in 1981 and has been a cult favorite ever since. Uh, but before we begin, uh, my name is Anthony DeRowan, founder of the Death Parade Film Fest. Uh, with me, we have guest host Al Omega, who's already been on a few shows. Um, he is the host of Creature Features, and you can find that at www.thecreaturefeatureshow.com. You can also find him on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, so definitely check out his newest shows. And what do you have uh, that's coming out latest uh, for uh, your audience, uh, Al? Well, uh, we just did um, last night. Night of the Yellow Beast, so that was, uh, or Beast of the Yellow Knight, yes, which was a, a movie that I hadn't actually seen before, but I had heard about it. Uh-huh. I wanted to watch it, so that was great. And uh, I think next week we're having all the kind people from 1972. Nice. Each as a romantic leading man. Nice. So, yes. So we have a couple of uh, weird movies coming up, not necessarily of. Uh, strange and bizarre subject matter but movies that didn't uh th that you didn't hear about and have some interesting background I'll, I'll spot you one more here go for it uh called well it goes under several names one of which is who's afraid of the devil but it is most commonly known if i can get to it here uh no it's not going to do that let you guys read that my computer argues with me let's see what was it dun, 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 dun. The Legend of Hillbilly John. I love these names. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a that was an interesting one because the movie is based off of apparently a series of books which I had not read or was even aware of until now. And this took place right after Vietnam, right after the deruralization of America, and so we have this country bumpkin that talks in that sort of uh, Appalachian patois. Nice going off into the world with his guitar armed with pure silver strings to fight evil and the ugly bird. And that's at the creaturefeatureshow.com. Yeah, uh, check it out. He's got, Al's got a ton of these movies that are just awesome to check out. So um, when you have time, uh, look up his films on YouTube. Uh, you'll enjoy them immensely. And um, also joining us, as always, Joe Flynn from Create TV. Hello, Thank you again, everyone. Joe, for coming on. Appreciate you. No, gee, no. Who am I? I'm <laughs> lost, I'm telling you. But before we even get started in the show, I want to sure. wish everyone a happy Labor Day. Yes. Yes. So, Stay cool out there. It is extremely hot here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Thank God yes. it's starting to cool down a little bit. That's right. But stay safe with the coronavirus. And uh, that right. leads me into the uh, next thing. Uh, I just wanted to touch on the film festival, as you know, that Death Parade Film Fest is postponed for uh, 2020 due to the pandemic. Um, but there's something else that is creeping around and that's social distancing. Uh, so as we go into the Halloween season, uh, some of the bigger film festivals like Scream Fest, uh, I've been keeping an eye on to see if they will be uh, moving to a virtual screening also because um, early on in, in March, uh, I made a decision to um, postpone the festival, not because of the uncertainty around the pandemic, but because of the uh, initial word about social distancing. So um, I 
it basically you put two and two together. Even when things reopen, um, you know, you would have had to be six feet apart, and that basically eliminates uh, the seat next to you. So uh, you can do the math, and you're looking at about 50% capacity for theater, and um, you know, there was no telling if the theater would even uh, grant a uh, discount because basically you're encompassing the entire theater for the night um, and they want to make sure that they can keep lights on. So if, if you're taking up the whole theater, they have to sell you every single seat. And if you're not able to sell every single seat because of uh, social distancing, that puts you at a uh, severe disadvantage. So um, pushing yes. out a year, uh, hopefully, you know, we can ease the social distancing. We can get at least to 75, maybe 80, 90% or, or better yet, we can just go back to normal. <laughs> so I'm thinking October of next year's enough time to uh, kind of get our shit together around here and uh, uh, flatten this thing out and get back to what we love doing. And that was enjoying horror. Uh, until then, you have us on the, uh, the podcast and the YouTube theater. And uh, today was the release of Royce Freeman's In Utero, uh, that is premiering today right now on YouTube on the Death Parade uh, Film Fest channel. So go ahead and check that out when you have time. So um, why don't we go ahead and jump into American Werewolf in London, guys. What did you think of that movie? I know it came out um, nearly 40 years ago, but uh, even re-watching it uh, yesterday, I can tell you that the effects by... Uh, uh, Oh my God, I forgot. Guys. Rick Baker. Rick Baker. Rick Baker. Uh, yes. His effects were just amazing. Even in a higher resolution format, um, you can tell that this was almost all practical effects. There was, I couldn't see if they even, even tried to use computer imagery. Yes. Um, you know, it's one of those things I, I see a lot of people now who are making movies saying, oh, let's, let's shoot it in four, even 8K. Not that we're ever going to show it that just because if, we get lucky and, and 10, 20, 30 years from now, people are still watching this thing we're making. We want it to still look good. And there are some really great movies out there that have done that. This movie has done really well with its practical effects. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh yeah. They've, they've, um, they did a good job of doing what they were supposed to do even at the time. And you know, at, when this came out, uh, people were a little jaded. Uh, about uh, effects at that point. But it still, I think, like I said, did a very good job of being uh, scary and realistic without doing overly on the gore. No, it, it, was, it was all targeted. There was nothing uh, splashing across the, street, uh, the screen. There was no pools of blood on the ground. Um, everything was done with the purpose of conveying that um, this werewolf business is serious and um, he's going to kill indiscriminately uh, whoever is around him. Uh, even if it, it might be a loved one Although at the very end at this point, if you haven't seen American werewolf in London, uh, we are revealing spoilers, <laughs> um, but he, he was a danger to everybody, including himself. Um, and I, I just enjoyed the straightforward approach to the, um, to the werewolf and, you know, the movie in itself uh, was multi-layered. I mean, there was a lot oh, going yeah. on in, in this film. Um, and if anyone wants to splice it uh, or piece it uh, apart, uh, first you have him filming in London, uh, a horror movie in London, right? An actual horror movie, yeah. um, which was rare for then. 
um, they didn't even get the film in Piccadilly Square up until this movie. And that was only because he convinced enough of the, uh, the police force to, uh, to let him through. Even then it was between, I think, like 1 and 4 a.m. Um, but there was a lot of unprecedented uh, things happening in this movie that um, really um, jumped off the screen. Um, what I liked most off was the American uh, protagonist, you know, in pretty much foreign country for him. He, he did not fit in uh, when he was human. And um, when he turned into a werewolf, it was, it, it turned the city upside down. And um, I, I think with the added comedy, uh, it really kind of uh, uh, shed a light on the differences between you know, the United States and the way that Europe uh, conducts itself. I thought that was a um, really nice uh, play on John Landis's part. He could have easily put a, a British guy as the actor, but um, oh, yeah. choosing two um, uh, American uh, visitors and just getting lost and just trapped in a supernatural mess uh, in London, I thought was an amazing mix. Well, I thought this it did really well in that uh, Griffin Dunes character, Jack, who of course is friend he kills. Yes, there's a spoiler. <laughs> has that wonderful sense of humor about the whole thing, showing up in the bathroom mirror with Mickey Mouse waving at him, uh, you know, and rotting as the de- time went on, you know. Yeah. Or even in the scene in the movie theater with a number of his uh, victims all crowding around him say, you know, you can kill yourself in different ways. You know, you can throw yourself in front of a trolley. I love that whole scene. That whole scene was epic. Not to mention the adult movie they were watching, which, you know, made as much sense as any other adult movie, I suppose, at the time. <laughs> so. Uh, what do you think, I was, Joe? Well, me personally, the movie is a classic. Uh, the effects by Rick Baker and his crew were stellar. And like I was just reading something about how how Rick Baker kind of was getting a little upset because he thought that hey you know he was working on his effects and they kind of like said oh hey like it was only seven seconds and he felt like oh man and then once he saw the film and the crowd and the audience were applauding his effects he. He totally went like, oh, never mind. You know, it, it just, you know, and it was, you know, to me, it's one of the best werewolf transformation scenes in recent history, you know, besides the howling. Those are the top two. Well, you know, now you say that, I'm thinking, is he the same? I don't know who did the transformation scene. For Michael Jackson's movie, uh, music video. That would be, I believe, Rick Baker. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Uh, both excellent trans uh, changes in them. And I think he also did the uh, that uh, very short-lived series, Manimal, which only had, you know, like three transformations in it. But, uh, yeah, he did some wonderful work. And I remember reading some of his uh, books on how to get stuff done and so forth, talking about all that. Of course... That was back when if you wanted to know what was going on in the new movies, you had to watch MTV. <laughs> back yeah. when it still had music videos on it. They'd have little bits about this. Oh, we're getting awesome. old here. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah I'm old. Are. I'm Astro Boy old, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, American Werewolf in London probably always 
uh, come in my top five uh, horror movies. And if anyone ever asks, I, I'm looking to uh, get him, you know, get into some good horror. What do you recommend? Because I see it all the time on Facebook. People, are, you know, new fans are saying, "Hey, I just jumped in. What do you guys recommend?" And American Werewolf in London is almost always mentioned because, um, like any good movie, it has a nice mix of uh, script, uh, production, post. Everything is checked off, um, including and Danny Ogder uh, in a shower. <laughs> Including practical effects. Uh, I know that uh, Rick Baker's transformation will always be remembered. It's just like the thing where, um, you know, the the thing transformations, those are the most visually memorable uh, parts of the movie. But, you know, looking at John Carpenter's script, the whole thing from beginning to end, even if you remove, let's say, Rick Baker's transformation, I think this is still an excellent movie. How many times did we actually see the werewolf? what a handful maybe two three times right we yeah. saw flashes of its face uh other than the transformation that was the most we got to see of it um i think at the escalator scene um you have the guy the businessman who's going up and there's a, a shot from the top down um you can see it crawling that's about the longest you're going to see it in camera other than that you're pretty much just looking at humans interacting with humans um that's i think where the story really uh stands out because um, there are some strong supernatural elements to this. Um, and if any, if you don't buy into the, uh, the realism of the, uh, the bar patrons, um, you know, who are basically petrified out of their mind, they, they don't want to leave this bar um, when the visitors show up. Um, well, that's any British. <laughs> um, you know, they, the whole thing screams of we're scared out of our mind. We're huddling under this pentagram here. Um, that is what's keeping us safe because we know what's out there. Um, even when the guys go out there, they, and the hostess says we have to go rescue them, and they still don't want to move up until the very end when they come out and shoot the thing. Um, but I, I thought that everyone's reaction in that bar sets the tone for the movie. Um, now you're thinking these grown men um, are scared out of their minds that they couldn't even get up out of their seat. Uh, I, maybe I should be scared too. Um, so you, you fall in line with them. You're like, well, what's got them freaked out? Maybe uh, we shouldn't go into the Mars. And then, you know, cue to the clueless Americans walking off track. I thought everything was just set up perfectly uh, and it just set everything in motion. And then, uh, you know, kudos to John Landis for finally uh, going back after he wrote this movie. Uh, what did it take about 10 years at least um, before he was, or was it a couple of years? I know it, he wrote it and then he sat on it and it wasn't until he got enough uh, clout in Hollywood that he went back and got the funding for it. So uh, kudos to him for going back and uh, making sure this thing got done. Room, You know, and of course, the best thing too about this film, and I will tell people, is this. Yes, it's always going to be in people's list of films for anyone to see. Because, you know, it's like, as I was going to bring up, it's all depending on what type of horror film that people want to see. You know, it's like, some might say, oh, I want to see something that's not super scary or super bloody. And so it's kind of like, here, go either the American Werewolf in London or The Thing or, you know, whatever movie it might be that might their interest but yes the entire cast of the american world in london were fantastic 
from David Naughton, or who wanted to be a Mr. Pepper, uh, to Jenny Ettinger, who's also best remembered for being in the sci-fi film Logan oh, yeah. Run, and Griffin Dune. And I was reading a little story on the trivia. He was a little nervous for his mom to see this film because he was a little afraid that it might be a little disturbing for her. And when she did finally see it, she was disturbed. And uh, she went like, sorry, mom, couldn't help it. <laughs> you know. Sorry, mom, I told you what would happen if you saw this movie. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and if everyone saw it, which they did, it wound up being the first uh, movie to make a Academy Award for Best Makeup. Yes. That's right. So they literally invented it, the award for this movie. That's how good it was. That's an achievement. That is a freaking yeah. achievement. When they have to make an award just to make sure that you get honored, this is the Academy Awards we're talking about. They yeah. created an award for your achievement. Yeah. Yes. Now, I, I know that they were thinking about a remake. Um, they came out with a sequel that yes. did horribly. Um, we're not it wasn't gonna... horrible. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> it that bombed. bad. It, it, it bombed. It bombed, but it wasn't that bad. I mean, know? it was okay. Uh, it, it was a completely different <laughs> cast. Um, I don't even know that John Landis was involved other than that they used his characters. Um, it, it was kind of like the curse of the the, the mid to late 90s it is just like you know horror kind of just well for me it kind of just it did it wasn't all there like you look at the early 80s right um to mid 80s we had Cujo we had the thing we had American Wolf from London right we just go on but the mid 90s it, it was kind of like a uh, right it felt like horror was kind of running low on steam right uh, maybe because it was the filmmakers involved weren't as um inspiring maybe as their predecessors it was just it just felt like something was off they were making movies to make movies um it, it, you know the critics slam basted it i think it had some like yeah. a seven percent score um you're only right and um it, it just i know they they use cgi on it maybe that's what it was um you know we start getting relying on cgi it was the thing yep yeah it was the thing um yeah we can do now more with cgi than we ever could but that was both the challenge and the um, the reward of practical effects was um, when you finally you know solve the riddle of how to you know to get this creature to look how you want it to be. It was done in pretty much in real format, which means that uh, you're filming this on 35 millimeter film. It's going to look great for ages, right? Because that's film. You're filming that on 35 millimeter film is 6K. Uh, if I remember correctly, and we're just up to 4K. So there's still more information that we can pull from these older movies, right? So um, I'll always be a fan of practical effects. Um, I, I think maybe because of my own shorts, I had to sit and think how I wanted to do things. And then when I finally realized, I'm like, yes, you know, versus just waiting for a computer to do it. Um, but yeah, um, I know they, they want to do a, a remake looks like it's still kind of uh languishing um but at least we have american werewolf in london to to hang our hat and said you know what we got a good movie here yeah you know i'm just doing a looking here it seems that uh michael what happened was uh, they made this movie and then michael jackson saw it was so impressed by it 
that he asked them to come help him with uh, his transformation sequence. Yeah. And so that's always good when you know, Michael Jackson was was at his, his height in the early 80s, certainly. He was still rising. In that yeah, he was. Uh, and when he wants star. you, <laughs> yeah, when he wants you to uh, come in, that would have been fun. I see that uh, they'd hope to have Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi as the two main characters. Now, I'm all for some horror and comedy, but I cannot imagine what would have happened if you had these two, especially since John Belushi would have played Jack, the guy that gets killed. <laughs> That's that because he had just worked with him on Blues Brothers. Yeah, but still, I mean, that, that would have been a very, very different movie. It would have been. I, I think it, yeah. it definitely would have been. Um, because well, at I the want time, to see John Belushi as Jack now. <laughs> now, here, here you go. To go back to what Anthony was saying. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, when you decide to do a, let's say, a sequel to a very popular movie, doesn't matter what genre it is, especially in horror, if you're going to make a sequel to, like, The American Werewolf in London, Halloween, whatever it is, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to follow up with how great the first film is. But then, but when you wait so long and you're thinking, oh, hey, people might remember this is the first movie, so we're going to finally do a sequel to it like 10 years later, and hopefully people will come out and see it, and when they see it, they either like it or they hate it, because it's like taking so long for someone to decide, oh, let's just, you know, now I'm saying... Don't rush sequel like how like when you had like the Friday the 13th Halloween you know back to back to back you know within a year or two of each other you know that's the thing that you know you might want to wait maybe a couple of years before you continue on you know give it a little break but don't rush it you know That's all I was saying. Well, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun there. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here scrolling through a few things here, and uh, it turns out that the gentleman who played Jack, let me keep going, Griffin Dune, um, apparently they only had one restroom trailer on set. And uh, one restroom. <laughs> only one. And, uh, and they were concerned that it would sell. So they, sent someone to go change it, to take it away and get a new one. Unfortunately, they didn't check to see if someone was in it at the moment. Oh, no. Griffin Dune was oh, actually no. on the pot when they drove away with him on the porta potty oh, oh. So that makes it kind of hard to actually... Uh, that would make for an excellent behind-the-scenes yeah. featurette. Yeah. Well, they did do... <laughs> when, the, uh, when the whole thing was finished... The main character had done a series of Dr. Pepper commercials. Yep. And he, they, they fired him because he does a nude scene in this movie. Oh. So. That's too bad. They, yeah. Well, when they uh, finished it, a bunch of the crew got together and danced around and singing, I'm a werewolf. You're a werewolf. Wouldn't you like to be a werewolf too? Yeah. <laughs> so. So, uh, at any rate, 
Well, if anyone's looking for American Werewolf on London, um, if you're kind of a, a, a collector of uh, classic movies uh, re-released in um, uh, stronger formats, um, Arrow Video um, last year came out with uh, American Werewolf in London, uh, a Blu-ray special collector's edition, uh, and they rescanned it in 4K. Ooh. So, yeah, I only own the Blu-ray. I didn't even know this until I started looking it up earlier. But um, the thing is, uh, for anyone who is like a 4K fan of horror, uh, like myself, it's a really nice format uh, to watch movies in. Um, you'd have to actually look for the Blu-ray. So a lot of movies, they will scan in 4K, but they release it in a Blu-ray package. Um, so you would definitely want to read the back of it and make sure that this is the rescan version. Now, the cover is, is done uh, much differently than the original theatrical uh, poster and has some uh, illustrations of the characters, werewolf in the center. So, and also look for the Arrow video logo. Um, but yeah, they have a 4K version of this uh, out there. I don't know um, as far as what they tinkered with. I know they added some uh, extra special features, including a brand new one. Um, but yeah, this is uh, available in a high res format. Uh, definitely check it out because um, even the standard Blu-ray uh, really holds up well because everything was done practically. Um, and I, that is the absolute key to a classic movie holding its own. I, here's a fun example. Uh, when people went to go see the film, uh, they saw on the marquee from the man who brought to Animal House. So they're thinking that this was going to be a comedy. Yeah. In fact, he didn't, uh, uh, financiers didn't want to um, um, support it because they thought it was too funny for horror. And so the people who saw the film uh, or ran out because they got scared or they were frightened from the movie. And it was just like, what? You know, you didn't read the title? Like, The American Werewolf in London. Hey, it adds on. Little cute little funny moments here and there, but no, it's not a comedy, guys. <laughs> you know, I think like you know, I wouldn't label it as a comedy either. Uh, I would label it as, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of lighthearted moments, um, because you know, the material is pre it's pretty heavy. Uh, they don't slam you over the head saying, um, yeah, you know, we're going to rip through London, mass destruction, hysteria. It's not that. Um, this is a very personal story. Um, the the list of characters. Very organic. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, if you're marketing this as a, a comedy, it's not. If you're marketing this as a, uh, a horror movie um, to the comedy, it, I could see where both sides would get a little bit confused. Um, but it's just, you know, it's a good story. Um even if you're not a fan of horror, you can watch it say, I just love supernatural stuff. I like werewolves. Now, if you grew up on, um, uh, oh, fuck, what's the name of that? that um, werewolf? Um, uh, teen Wolf? Not Teen Wolf. It's more recent. Robert okay. Pattinson starred in it. Oh, Twilight. Twilight. Uh, yeah, if you grew up on Twilight, this ain't it. <laughs> this is this is the original werewolf what it's supposed to be this is what the howling was um, this is what you know dog soldiers was um, this dog is when we think of werewolves when we think of you know that howl in the night 
this is what we're imagining and this was what it should be. Well, you know, it's funny. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was also going to bring up one other werewolf movie that people should keep an eye out on. Another really classic, old classic, I should say, is Ginger Snacks. Ginger Snacks. Ginger. I can hang. I'm Ginger Snaps. Yes. Yes, Ginger Snaps. Good movie. But go ahead, Al. It's all yours. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, Ginger Snaps. Good movie. I was going to say about this movie, though, is that uh, you mentioned The Howling, and apparently the producer had seen The Howling, and the special effects people wanted the werewolf to be this quadruped. And so there was an argument whether or not, you know, well, The Howling did really well, and those were bipedal werewolves. Should it be a bipedal werewolf or a quadruped? And so there was uh, some back and forth on how werewolves should actually be. And I do think they did a, a great job with this one. Yeah, I like the quadruped. Um, I can go with both, really, to be honest. Um, as long as it's done. It's funny to say a werewolf was done realistically <laughs> because we've just been hammered overhead with all this this weird stuff uh, lately in the past 15 years. Um, but quadruped, biped, um, if it's done with the sense of this can actually happen, it's rooted in reality. Yeah, there's some supernatural stuff. Um, but it, I'm good with either of them as long as it looks compelling. And um, it, it didn't take away from the movie. It, he could have been standing on two legs and I think it still would have been good, right? Um, oh, yeah, they right. could have gone either way with this and we still would have been happy. You know, it's, uh, I, I always thought that they had used uh, Warren Zevon's music in this, and apparently they didn't. I don't know why I was so sure that they had. That was the, the only low point I thought was the commercial music. Um, I thought I could have done with a little bit more original score. I mean, we're nitpicking a classic here. Yes, yes, <laughs> we can yes. stop at any point. <laughs> well, no, the thing was, I think, was basically what they wanted to do was like, hey, star. A bad moon on the rise. Yeah. That's going to fit in well with this film because, hey, it's about a werewolf. And you don't want to go out tonight because there's a bad moon on the rise. But, you know, I can see, you know, all the different points of like, you know, maybe they could have had a little more organic music or something more traditional in England type, English type music. But still, that, you know, was the filmmaker's choice, you know? Well, you know, filmmakers would look at this and say, okay, if I use something that people already know, that's comforting. Something they don't know is always a gamble. Apparently, they wanted to use Cat Stevens' um, Moon Shadow, but he right. said no. And Bob Dylan wouldn't allow his version of Blue Moon to be used. And Elvis Presley's was not available because of some lawsuits about his estate at the time. So, because, you know, he had just died not too terribly long before that, uh, in legal terms. And so, uh, they were hard to press. And I think, you know, Green's Clearwater works out well. I would have been very happy with uh, Moonshadow on there, but it is what it is. And, and we get the movies you can. And it's amazing how many things that wind up being outside of your control really shape your movie. And that's the thing, as you were saying. Imagine if Warren Zevon's Werewolf of London yeah. 
would have been in that soundtrack. Yeah. <sighs> but, you know, it wasn't. I, I For some reason, I always thought it did. I was a big Warren Zevon fan, so. There's nothing wrong. That song's a classic. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Anthony, I hope you know the song, man. <laughs> Rolling the headless Thompson Gunner, man. <laughs> well, That's a curious. horror movie right there, ready, waiting to be made. <laughs> well, I know that John Landis um, had written a draft of uh, a remake, and um, there were some allegations that came out of that pretty much kind of uh, ink snade. Um, you know the production um, but let's say let, let's throw this out there because I, I like just kind of brainstorming you know kind of daydreaming a little bit about you know uh, movies that haven't happened yet or you know if you go back in time what would you change um, but let's say that um, Blumhouse Studios got a hold of the remake what do you think they would do with it because this movie had a pretty sizable budget um, if you were trying to make this movie now it would probably fall outside of the budget that Blumhouse Studios, which is, I have always, I've always said right now, they are the number one horror studio. Um, it used to be Lionsgate. Um, now it is Blumhouse. But they have, almost have like a strict budget of like maybe five to 15 million, right? Um, and of course they spend like 50 to 60 million in marketing. <laughs> um, but for production, I, I don't see how they can make... Um, American Werewolf and Lenny remake with the, the budget constraints they give themselves. Um, it just wouldn't happen. I think even with the scope as shrunk down, because it was a small scope, American Werewolf in London, right? We're talking a couple locations, Max. We're talking five characters and it still had a big budget because of where they filmed and, uh, and specifically where they filmed, right? Um, I, I don't see this, if they're gonna capture the essence of American Werewolf in London and remake, it's going to be something vastly different, I think, because of the cost of filming uh, these days. Um, I'm just not interested in seeing a remake because of that. What do you guys think? Well, you know, I'll, I'll let my uh, my uh, associate here go first, if he likes. Okay. Uh, this is the thing. I, I agree. It's probably way out of the budget of Blum, Blumhouse yeah. to do it. Because... And, you know, it's all pending. They could say, hey, yeah, we're just going to do CGI. It ruined and, it. They already did that. And it sucked. <laughs> and basically, you know, they'd like try to bring new technology into it. And then say, okay, here's your movie. Like it or not, you know. And that would be the thing. And it's like you want to, you know, have a cast that not necessarily will do their roles like how David Naughton or Griffin Dunn or Jenny Utteger did it. You want them to, you know, be a little more expanded. But the thing is, is that it would be kind of really hard to do a remake or whatever of it because yeah. you need the right director, the right budget, and the right makeup and right cast and this was born from john landis he he wrote it he directed he sat on it for 10 years uh and then he eventually got it out it's not like he was basing it on a book that was came, came out 20 years later that had all this additional source material and 
additional plot points that you know remakes love to kind of just mine like oh we're going to base this in this world but we're going to be focusing on this characters it, it they couldn't do that with this movie because it was yeah. uh, i want to say pseudo original i mean john lannis didn't invert uh, invent the werewolf <laughs> um, but he, 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 he took the werewolf he put it on screen and gave us an amazing story uh, so i will credit him as american werewolf from london was his baby um and if you're going to do a remake off that uh, I, I really think that you have to almost uh continue it from where it left off um you'd have to say we're just going to go right back into that world and maybe make some references to the previous characters and then a werewolf is loose in some other town um any other remake and I'm, I'm thinking it's just it's not gonna it's not gonna seem right now i'm gonna actually play devil's advocate here for a minute uh you know you're right that the budget is of course crucially important you've got a, a, a movie that is very special effects driven but in the early 80s a lot of the stuff was really cutting edge this is experimental uh, they were playing around with brand new techniques and materials and yeah. that has changed tremendously now. Just like, you know, when they came out with T3, with the liquid chrome effect for the Terminator, that was made on a mainframe. By the time the movie came out, you could do that on a laptop. Same with a lot of these uh, prosthetics they have now. The price on them is so far down that someone uh, on a very much lower level could assemble something like this. And yes. with creative shooting, I think that a uh, studio with a much smaller budget would be able to do a decent job on this. Although, again, it's one of those things, it, it, you can't sit there and say it's exactly a reboot because you're going to have to change aspects of it to compensate for the lack of money. Right. But that doesn't mean, I, I think they could do a good job. I think they, uh, yeah, you're whether right. Whether or not they will is a whole other matter, mind True. But I think they can get the werewolf down. Could. Yeah, I, I think, think they can get that down. They can they get the may werewolf wind up, in the story. Yeah, they may wind up keeping a lot of the shots um, closer on the outside. So rather than seeing Piccadilly Square or something, you're seeing a back alley somewhere. <laughs> exactly. That's, right. what, That's what they would have to sacrifice, I think, would be. And come on, let's be honest. You know, seeing all this chaos unfold in Piccadilly Square was fucking awesome. Yeah. Right. It, it, that, that, I, I'm so happy that he, he just went for it and went for it and said, you know, even at one to 4 a.m., he still got to do it. And um, yeah, seeing old Piccadilly Square um, being uh, shot to shit was, I thought, the highlight of the movie. Uh, obviously, it was, you know, that, that was the climax. Um, that was his second transformation. Uh, he's running through downtown London. I thought that was, you know, an excellent uh, way to culminate the story. Um, but yeah, they would definitely have to sacrifice, uh, location and see, that's why I'm like, uh, that was one of the big things. And, um, uh, yeah, it's just, I'm happy with this movie. Um, if John Landis was involved in another one, maybe, um, yeah, he hasn't really talked about it in a couple of years as far as doing a remake. Um, but if he did manage to, I know his son was also tinkering, uh, with something, um, Yes, but uh, it's kind of like John Carpenter in Halloween. You, you you want the master at least if he's not behind the wheel, you, you kind of like to have him in the passenger seat, right? Something like that. Yes. Yeah. You want you want him close as you can. Yes, I agree. 
but yeah, again, I I am never gonna take anything away from the American Werewolf in London because it is a fantastic movie for everyone to check out, even if you're not a horror fan. Check it out, and hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as the horror fans do. These are the movies that make up our childhood. These are the movies that are special. So this is our yes. John Talbot right here. Okay, so there's no gypsy woman telling him to uh, say his prayers and, and that sort of thing. But yeah. still, this was these are the, the movies that are our, our childhood and shape what kind of movies we want to make. Yes. And we do want to go out and make movies. So uh, they leave us with this feeling of, at least for me, that we can achieve, which is why I go out and I make movies. And of course, when I'm out there making the movies, you're like, damn, how come I can't do as well as this other guy did uh, who had lots of money and professionals around him at all times? All <laughs> <laughs> right. But we, but we try, we do, we try. You know, right. uh, it's interesting that, the, you know, of course, it's the scene in the, uh, the pub there, they have the dartboard, of course, many people not realizing that acupuncture was actually invented by the Irish. Right. Yeah, nice. somebody staggered in front of the dartboard one night. <clears throat> Ow! How are you? Yeah. It hurts, but my headache's gone now. <laughs> yeah, five minutes later, they have them taped up against the wall, and they're all throwing darts at it. How do you feel now? <clears throat> Ow! So, fortunately, they didn't do that in this one. Although, I, I would be, wouldn't be surprised if there was another movie where there's uh, the monster breaks into the, the pub, and somebody starts wailing on them with the darts. Mm. Some of those guys are good. Oh, yes. Slaughtered <laughs> so, lamb. What a lovely place to go. And apparently it's real. Yes, it is. So, I'd love nice. to go down to Slaughtered Lamb. Order some tea and biscuits and jam. Well, that's what we have for American Werewolf from London. I think we covered it pretty well. Um, it was released in 1981. It's obviously available everywhere. Um, if you want to learn more about it, just Google American Werewolf from London. Or put it on Amazon, and um, you'll bring you'll uh, bring up the uh, Blu-ray. Um, if you're lucky, maybe you can go find a VHS or a Betamax. That was, can you believe that was the first way it came out? Holy God, Betamax! That's oh. how it is. Yes, I don't have it. I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna date myself here a little bit. Uh, last year, at some point, I was over at Ed Elf Gasser's in San Francisco, which is a, the big place you go for film stuff. And they actually had like the freebie bin, and in it were still sealed Betamax tapes. Blanks, but still sealed Betamax tapes. I couldn't imagine what the resolution, if you even had, was, did you even have resolution back then? <laughs> Not really, no. But it was supposed to be better than VHS, so, you know, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, I know it's been on every single format laser disc, DVD. Yeah, array, I, I so. love the laser disc, man. It's got oh, yeah. time it looks a little bit better. And that's cool that they're still releasing uh, featurettes for it. So it just shows you that there's still uh, an audience uh, that wants to learn more about this movie. And they're going to probably continue um, releasing new stuff, whatever they can dig up on American Werewolf in London. It was that good of a movie. Oh, yes. All right. Well, that's our time for tonight. Um, thank you again for joining us. My name is Anthony Garowin, founder of Death Parade Film Fest, Al Omega. Thank you for having me. And Joe Flynn. Good night, everyone. Have a good night. Thanks for tuning in. See you next same, time. Next time, same bat channel. I tried.